Good morning. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people, and it is great to see you, and it's fun to see all the people who used to be here that are not. Usually, pastors are really happy when people stay. <laughs> but it's really great when you can send them out to plant what you have here there. And all those people still call you theirs. They love you. They appreciate you. They tie themselves to you in significant ways in prayer, in finances, in affection. And uh, it's great to, to see them wish us a happy anniversary. Well, for those of you who have been on social media, you realize that this was supposed to be a moment where we had a real conversation about what God had done in some lives of very significant folks in our congregation. Pastor Sean Clemens, who experienced a horrific event two months ago, uh, along with some other people who helped him in the process of recovery, was supposed to be on the stage and all their wives. Uh, turns out he's a little under the weather today. And so we are praying for his well-being. He's doing great. He just didn't feel well today. And so we're going to believe for another Sunday when we can have a moment of conversation and perspective that allows us the privilege of giving thanks because God has done some amazing things through that horrific event that happened two months ago. Amazing things. But without the principle, uh, even though everybody else could attend, we thought it best just to postpone it. And we did not find this out until 8.18 this morning. <laughs> he called me. I mean, he was trying to make it. He wasn't feeling well this morning. He was hugging the toilet. I'm sorry. And so he was calling me, and, and he, he was trying to figure out how in the world can he get through. And his bride and him called me at 8.18 and said, I can't make it. I'm so sorry. He wanted to be here so bad. So we have to kind of figure out how to call an audible and do something a little different today. So... Sorry, it's just me. <laughs> Turn with me over to the book of Psalms, Psalm 50. Psalm 50. We're going to look at verses 15, 14 and 15. And this is the Psalm of David. The title of the sermon is Grateful Giving. Grateful Giving. The psalmist says, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Lord, help us as we study your word. David was a worshiper. We don't know how he got that way. We don't have his growing up years. We have every reason to believe that his daddy, Jesse, was a pretty good dad. We have every reason to believe that this was a young man who grew up in safety and security and understanding the covenant. At a young age, he was writing psalms, caring for the sheep out in the, in the fields. He was, a, he was a minstrel. He played what was then what we would consider the guitar today, then the lyre. He was so good that he played for heads of state. If someone plays for anybody who's occupying the White House, they're really good. They don't just ask me to come and play, banging on my guitar. They don't do that. That's how good David was as a minstrel. 
And not only did he play by way of performance, he played by way of ministry. When the potentate, the king, Saul, was going through some difficulty in his own soul, he said, bring me David. There's nobody who supplies greater peace in these moments than him. Amazing. But we don't know where it came from. Just like most of you don't know where you came from. You don't know how you got here. I'm the only preacher in my family in like forever. I can't, I've, I, anybody do ancestry? In 23andMe, whatever you do in order to find out who you are, I have researched and researched on both sides of my family and then all the sides of their families, trying to figure out who out there held up the covenant to such a degree that I could be an inheritor. Who? Was there anybody like me and I can't find anybody? I did find one great-great-grandfather who wrote his will, and it was recorded in Alabama. And the first thing he said is, I want to give thanks to my God and Father, Jesus Christ. And he talks about how I've been saved by him, and I look forward to spending eternity with him. And that's the first little inkling of somebody who carried the covenant that might get down to me. But we're talking about a man who was born in 1848. Died someplace around, 1838, died someplace around the, the turn of the 19, uh, uh, 1900s. And, and, and there were a whole lot of generations between that before I came. And I'm thinking, well, okay, that's, that's the best I can I don't know where I came from. There's not much history that says I should be doing any of this. But God is no respecter of persons. And even when there isn't enough that, needs to, that, that, that you would think would need to trickle down all the way to get to you, to be what you need to be, what you think you are now. There is a direct line, spiritually, genetically, straight from the Father. Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is from heaven. The way you got to be the way you are is not because of some natural lineage. It's not because of your wisdom or understanding. It's because the Father in heaven revealed who I am to you. And as a result, your nature has changed. I realize generation after generation has been fishing on this sea for a long time in Galilee. But you, I'm going to make you a different kind of fisherman. A fisher of men. Don't know how David got to be the way he was, except that God just called him. And please understand this, that if you can't find out how the covenant got passed down to you, that's all right. It can start with you so that your children will never have to question. The next generation or the one after that or the one after that will always be able to look and say, that's where it came from. Because we want to be people that leave more than just resources physically, financially, materially to our kids. The greatest inheritance you can give them is a relationship with Almighty God. David says, here, talking about thanksgiving, and he goes on in verse 23 of this passage, says, He who offers a, a, a thanksgiving offering to me honors me. I am so grateful to God in so many ways. It would take like six sermons to be able to articulate well why. And even if he had not done anything that would take up all the six sermons, the fact that he just sent his son to die for me is enough for me to be eternally grateful. He would not need to do anything else in order to prove how, how much he loves me and how good he is to me. That's it. 
we Christians find ourselves a little fickle, fair weather. In tough times, we wonder where he is, if he cares. And we forget the fact that he sent his son for us. We begin to retreat from our faithfulness. We get mad at him and question how much he cares. We step away from church, our spiritual fervor, and we forget that he sent his son to die for us. If he never did anything else for you, that would be enough for you to always be grateful. Job, in all of his difficulty, <laughs> and he had a lot, in all of his difficulty, never expressed a lack of gratefulness. He just didn't understand why he had to go through it. But he knew God was God and never left him. It's important for us to, to find, if you will, the least common denominator that draws us to him. And although it is, mathematically speaking, the least common denominator, it is the greatest thing that God has ever done for us in sending his son to die, giving us salvation. And then there are all the other things. And David says we need to give thanks to God for that. He says, first of all, sometimes you need to give thanks on the basis of sacrifice. Now, in Leviticus chapter 7, it outlines what a thanksgiving offering is. It's a votive offering. Thanksgiving offering is not that which we invented as a congregation. It's something that's anchored in Scripture. A votive offering was an offering that was based on a vow or free will, meaning you just decided, I'm going to give my God something. There were other kinds of offerings that were prescribed. Guilt offerings, sin offerings. Offerings for different, different festivals and feasts. But this year was one you just decided you wanted to give. You just woke up one day and said, I'm going I'm to do something good for my God. Or maybe you made a vow. You said, Lord, if you would do this for me, much like what Pastor AJ talked about with Jacob, if you will care for me, if you will provide for me and, and, and make sure that I am safe, protect me, then I will. <laughs> now, if there's anything I know to be true, that at some point all of us have prayed something like that. Lord, if you help me pass this test, I know I haven't studied like I should. I know, I know, I know. But Lord, if you just help me pass this test, I promise you I'll read my Bible every day. I'll go to church. I'll even serve with Grace Cares. I'll go on Saturday and get to the community and give out, distribute food. I'll do it. If you just let me pass the test. If you give me this woman, God, ooh, ooh, ooh. I tell you, Lord, she's a good one. She's a good one. I, I, I'll do right. I'll do right. I promise I'll do right. <laughs> Name your most important thing of the week that you wanted from God, that you thought was so critical for you to have that you would make a promise to him. We've all done that. And many times, God gave us what we desired. Sometimes he mercifully didn't because you didn't know how bad it would be for you. You didn't know. And so I, it, maybe you haven't lived long enough to thank him for unanswered prayers. I have. I am so grateful I have my wife. I am so grateful I have my wife because there were other people before her that I begged God for. And I am so grateful 
I have my wife. Sometimes you got to live long enough to thank him for unanswered prayers because you don't know what you're asking for. He knows better. He knows so much better. But you prayed those prayers at some point and sometimes he's answered in the affirmative. But have you fulfilled your vow? Did you do what you're supposed to do? Did you fulfill what you said you were going to do in terms of him answering? Generally, not. Most people never ante up. They just say, whew, made it through that one. And they go on about the business. He's faithful. We are not. What happens when he proves himself faithful? Better yet, what happens when he... When he doesn't do what you want him to do, though he is proving himself faithful, I need to say it like that, and you aren't happy about the result, can you still, still, in the midst of not having what I have, which is the end result of an unanswered prayer, and that I have the best woman since Eve, when you're in the middle and you don't have what you know you will get later as good, but you don't have it yet, and you're in the, 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 the valley, you're in the place of loss or lack, can you thank him then? Can you say, Lord, I don't know why in the world I don't have what I thought I needed, but I know this, you are a good God. You know better than me, and I want you to know, I thank you for not answering my prayer. And I thank you for providing for me for whatever I'm going to have later. Because I know I'll thank you in the end because it will be good. But I want you to know by faith, I am thanking you now. It is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You are honoring him with the words of your mouth on the basis of his character. Not on how you feel about what's been done. It's a sacrifice from your soul. It happens on the basis of faith because you can't do it naturally. Everything in your eyes, your, your, your natural senses, your mind, your ears, your sense of touch, everything is telling you, this doesn't feel right. Why are you thanking him for a hard time? Oh, there are so many things that I wish I had not been through. But it provided for me an opportunity to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, it doesn't mean I'm thanking him for the difficulty. It means I'm thanking him in the difficulty. I'm not losing my faith as I move forward. I'm strengthening my faith. Anybody can thank God when Publishers Clearinghouse shows up at your front door. Ah, that's easy. You don't need any faith to do that. A thousand dollars a week for a lifetime. Anybody can. Ever, even the atheist says thank God for that. There's no credit in there for you, but only the man or woman of faith in the midst of lack can say, Lord, I'm looking in my cupboards. I don't see much food there, but I thank you that you are my provider. Lord, I don't have a job right now, but I thank you that you are in the process of bringing me gainful employment. A man or woman of faith offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving when it doesn't seem like you ought to be thankful. David says, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And when you do so, he says, make sure you pay your vows. Pay your vows, meaning most of the people who offered a sacrifice of thanksgiving did it on the basis of what I said earlier. 
Lord, if you will bless me, the Jacob prayer, Lord, if you will bless me, then I will pay your vows. Be serious about it. Now, what you need to do is be careful about vowing. (laughs) Just pray. (laughs) Don't make any promises because you aren't that good. I'm not that good. I just pray. Say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I don't know that I can be as faithful to my word as I need to be, but I need your help. But if you have vowed, make sure you fulfill your vow. Now, if you vowed 15 years ago, eh, I can't say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it because it makes sense. If you vowed 15 years ago and you can't even remember what you vowed, I'm not saying you're not responsible for it, but just start afresh. Just say, Lord, forgive me for what I don't remember. I said I was going to do when you said you were going to do this and you did it and I didn't do it. Lord, forgive me. I forgot. But I want you to know. I'm not going to do that much anymore. I'm just going to pray to you. And when I next time pray and I need to do that vow thing, I want you to know I'm going to be on point. I'm going to be on point, oh God, I'm going to be on point. Why? Because when we do that, it is an offering of thanksgiving. Do you understand how the two are tied? You may not think it's thanksgiving. You may think you're making a deal. If you do this, I'll do that. Why would God make a deal with you? Why? What's he going to get out of it? God doesn't make deals. He provides opportunities and, and circumstances creating blessing for you so that you can offer him thanksgiving. Listen, for, for somebody to make a deal, doesn't there have to be some benefit to one party or the other or both? If you make a deal with God, you benefit if he answers. If he makes a deal with you, what does he get? You? (laughs) That's the short end of the stick. He doesn't do what he does. In order to gain from your life, he does what he does because he loves you. There's not much gain from us at all. He doesn't make deals. We think it's important to do that. We think he's a a used car salesman. We think he's somebody who needs us so badly that sure enough, he's going to do this for us so we can do that for him. Like we're good at whatever we do for him. So good that he couldn't do without us. Lord, you got to make this deal. This is a good one here. No. It's a sacrifice that we give back to him in terms of saying, thank you for doing what you did for me. Fulfill your commitments. And what does this ensure? When we offer a sacrifice to God and we fulfill our our vows, what does this ensure? He says, he says, then call on me. Now, we, we, we almost assume that we have access to God on the regular because we know our Bible well. Or, because we've heard that he listens to people that are in trouble and we believe we have access to God. He hears our prayer. And both of those things are true. But there is something really special when God says, I want you to know, I'm giving you my number. Put me in speed dial. When he says it specifically, when you haven't gotten it from somebody else. You know, when when somebody when you would like to have somebody's info, you'd like to contact somebody, but 
but somebody else has the info that you need in order to contact them. And that person, the only way you're going to get it is that person gives it to you, but that person needs to go to them first to find out whether they can transfer the information to you. That's kind of the way most of the time we are in that we hear it from a preacher. Oh, I can call, I can call God like he's access. If I can call him, we read it from a book and we understand that we have access, but it's a whole different thing. If that person who you know about that you want to get in contact with heard that you want to get in contact with him and then calls you personally and says, may I help you? Whole different kind of access. You realize there are some hurdles you do not have to jump in order to communicate. God says here, call on me. Call me. When you make a sacrifice of thanksgiving, he says, I give you access. Here's my number. Anytime you need it, I'm on speed dial for you. I promise you. I'll pick up. I'll answer. Call on me. And I will rescue you. I can't tell you how many times God has rescued us as a congregation. Rescued me. Last week, I went through all, well, not all. That would take too long. A bunch of my failures in trying to talk about the faithfulness of Almighty God and that we are still here and we are not just surviving, we are thriving. God has been super good to Brett, super good to Grace Covenant Church. I am so, so grateful for how he has rescued us from us and from those who are who don't have a mind for our progress. I am so grateful. And the process through which we've gone over the last 38 years is not one that you would, you would write about to talk about. This is the plan for success. We came here in 1982, 12 of us, 11 adults, excuse me, and then a couple of kids. Um, and we, we were meeting in a house. You saw it on the screen. 139 C Street Southeast. I lived downstairs with another guy. We were roommates. And then there was another apartment above us. And one more above them. And then there was a carriage house at the back. In which some people lived. Our senior pastor had another home with his bride. And she was expecting. She I think was in her eighth month. Debbie. Is that right? Where are you Debbie? In here? Someplace around there. She was right around the corner. Yeah, yeah, someplace eight, seven, eighth month. She mm, big with child. <laughs> and they, they had a beautiful home at 648 Independence Avenue uh, Southeast. And God was, 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 was filling us with hope. But that's about all we had. We didn't have a lot of experience about what it meant to be in D.C. I was 21 years old. Pastor Mark... The senior pastor, the founding pastor of the church, was 30. He had started two congregations already. <clears throat> I'd only been a part of one, a small one in Indiana, uh, and that for only 18 months. That's where I got right with God. I, I got born again, right with God, uh, in March of 1981. I went into the ministry seven, seven months and three weeks later, December. I went into the ministry, December 1. Graduated early from college and started my hand in ministry. I don't know who thought it was a good idea 
to take somebody who had only been born again for seven and a half months and put them in ministry. But I was on campus three times a week preaching the gospel when nobody was asking me to do it. I was just passionate about this. And, and it was one of those, well, he's trying hard. Let's try him out. But even though they thought I had potential, they weren't paying me. I had to go raise my own money in order to believe that I could be in ministry, support myself. So I went out and raised my support. And by January, I was fully deployed in ministry at Indiana University. Stayed there for about eight months, came here in August of 1982 to be a part of this. Only 18 months, 15 really, that I was, I was even right with God. That's it. And I was starting a campus ministry at Howard University. I don't know what people were thinking that they should even trust Brett with anything. I mean, some of you all have been born again 20 years and you still cower and think ministry is just daunting. 15 months. Maybe it was that I was so young I didn't know how hard it would be. That, 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 that was my benefit. We didn't know what we were doing. We started on September 12th with a prayer meeting in the, in the house. First Sunday service, if you will, with 12 people and uh, 11 folks and kids. And it was, it was great. Lots of hope. From that point, we met in 33 different locations before we got here. Over 25 years. 33. Those are only the ones I can remember. 30, basements of churches. We met in the Methodist building, which is right adjacent to the uh, Supreme Court on Capitol Hill. We were right on Capitol Hill, right across the street from the J Thomas Jefferson, uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, Library of Congress. And w basements of churches, Methodist building, community centers, uh, schools, public schools, um, sanctuaries that we were trying to buy that we couldn't. We met hotels. We met in 33 different places. Nomadic we were. That is not the way you build a church. There was no Twitter. There was no text. How do you... We, we had things called phone trees. <laughs> where everybody in the church knew who they were supposed to call when they got the call that we were meeting in a certain location. And so... I would call, Pastor Mark would call, okay, call this person, call that person, okay, then they would call somebody, and then they would call somebody, and they would call somebody, and I mean literally, sometimes we, did, we would show up at places on a Sunday morning, and we, we knew we were there because we had a, a contract, but they said, oh, you're not here today. We have, we have a con yeah, we had a conference, eh, you're not here today. I had to go meet in somebody's backyard for a Sunday morning. This is not the favored way to grow a church. <laughs> when I became pastor, we moved out to Virginia at Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. Stayed there for two years. That was the longest place we'd ever been in one spot. Longest time we've ever been in one spot, two years. Then we moved to church at Northern Virginia, which is in Oakton. Beautiful little sanctuary there. They gave us their chapel. They met in their main building. Stayed there for two years. We then moved to uh, Herndon on, off Spring Street, Huntmar Park Drive. And we had our first place where we didn't have to set up and break down equipment. We stayed there for five and a half years. That was really a joy. Uh, I was the guy when we, we started the church that helped, was in charge of the team that 
set up the equipment and broke it down every Sunday. And when we didn't have to do that anymore, it, it was like Jesus came back. It, it was so wonderful. Because you got to get up at like, you know, five or six in the morning to go get the stuff, put it in the car, take it to the place, set it up, get it ready in time for the worship team to practice, then do worship and song, then do the service, then stay afterwards, break everything down, put it back in the truck, take it back to the place of storage. It's a, it's a 5.30 a.m. to about a 2 and a half, 2, 2.30 in the afternoon day. Nobody complained. I'm just reporting. That was a happy day when I didn't have to do that anymore. Five years in Huntmar. Then we moved. To, we got too big for Huntmar. Every time we moved, it was because we were getting too big, which was good. Then we moved over to Thomas, uh, excuse me, Dominion High School in Sterling. Stayed there for about five and a half years. And then my, um, my kids wanted to swim, and we moved to Chantilly personally. We moved to South Riding. Uh, and I got a circular in the mail. And this, this thing talked about, it was an advertisement for a water park. And it was $349 for the entire season if you paid up front. Swimming season, summer. And it was $16 a head if I went individually, took my kids. I had seven kids. <laughs> you can do the math. If I went two or three times, I'd already paid for an entire season. So I went and paid for the entire season. And, and, and I went to this water park. And I showed up at the water park with my children, and, and we made up most of the people that were there. I thought, well, what's wrong with people? It's 95 degrees in June. Why in the world are people at the water park? We were having a blast. Came back the next week, same thing. I then went to Pastor Jim, who was here at the time. I said, uh, you were here, weren't you, Jim? Yeah. I said, let's see if we can get somebody to go over there and ask that owner if he wants to sell that thing. Because I can't figure out how he's making any money. So we got our realtor. We know he said, yes, I want to sell. So we, we bought a water park. <laughs> and everybody said, the church is crazy. When I told the church, I didn't even have the courage because I had made some other mistakes. <sighs> So many mistakes I'd made. I did not have the courage to go before them, before we bought the, the water park, and tell them, church, let's buy a water park. We just did this with our eldership. And then I went and told them, showed them the keys on a Sunday morning, and said, church, we bought a water park. They went, uh, what are you doing? There are not many things I did perfectly well. This is the water park. I am so grateful, so grateful to God that he delivered me from my difficulty, from my poor decision-making, and gave us this. I am so grateful to God not only that he has been with me, that he has been with us, but that you have been with me. There's not much you can do by yourself. I mean, even the great men of old in Scripture who had God on their side all by themselves found themselves in lonely spots from time to time. Elijah, nobody like him in all the Old Testament. Greatest victory arguably ever in spiritual terms for Israel. 
fire from heaven came down at his word upon a sacrifice. A man who had shut up the heavens for three years with no rain, brought down fire from heaven, proved to the entire nation that God was the Lord. But when things didn't turn out like he thought, he ran off on his own and said, God, kill me. I don't want to live anymore. Without compatriots, even victory is shallow. This is one of the reasons why Moses, when God gave him the option and said, listen, I'm tired of these people. I'm going to start over with you. They haven't liked you. They haven't liked me. I've done everything I possibly can for them. And these were uh, 10 miracles, 10 plagues in Egypt that didn't touch them but touched the Egyptians, delivered them by my own hand. They didn't have to lift a sword. And now they are complaining about you and me. They built a calf down there in that valley. I'm going to wipe them out and start over with you. Exodus 33, Moses basically says this, I don't want to arrive at my victory alone. I don't want to go into this promised land by myself. And remember, the idea of starting over with you, having the people called the Mosites, kind of heady. And Moses said, no, Lord, I want to go with them. I'm grateful that I have people who have gone with me. Pastor Jim and Angie, Daryl and Jewel Green, Keith and Joe Temple, Roy and Gail Watson. JC and Rosa Sherrod been here since 1988. Duke and Kathy Bendix that joined us, brought their church to be with us in 1996, 97. All the elders of our congregation, all their wives. Pastor Donnell Jones who planted our church downtown. I am so grateful for those who stayed with me. Donnell came in 1985. And been with me since. Through all my mistakes and all of my foibles and idiosyncrasies, I am grateful to God for folks who have been with me. When I called out to him, he answered me and delivered me not just from but into. Why? Because even through the midst of our tough times, and this is only by the grace of God, I have not ceased to give him thanks. I have not ceased. And there were times when you were not here because you didn't know who we are, who we were, where there were many moments where I could have said, this didn't work, and I quit. Where are you? There's something about the faithfulness of God that gets a man to where he needs to be even when he can't get there on his own and has lost all desire to do so. Call upon me and I will rescue you. And you will honor me. I honor you, O oh God, for your goodness, for your kindness, for your steadfastness with us. I don't know how in the world you were able to do anything with me or with us. I don't know how you, you squeezed as much juice out of me as you did. I don't because I didn't think there was enough there worth the squeezing. But you did. I want you to know I honor you, O oh God, for your goodness and your kindness. And <clears throat> as I close, 
and kind of a, a rebound, we're going to start another church in D.C. <laughs> 21 years ago, we planted our church with Pastor Donnell Jones downtown, doing great. They got their first building down there. <laughs> so proud of that man. But our goal is to help win all of Washington. And our, our presence out here is important. God has done some marvelous things. But he called this church to impact D.C. too. That's why he called me here. And so we are going to make most of our church planting efforts in the future, not all, but most of them, downtown. And hopefully, by this time next year, we will have something that is meeting regularly, a second congregation downtown. And my hope is that we would plant seven or eight churches downtown. All over. They got eight wards down there. We're going to hit every one of them. And we're going to do it in such a way that we keep our vision for our campuses. Our church downtown is reaching Howard University. That outreach has gone without cessation since I started in 1982. There are times when they kicked all ministries off campus, including ours, because somebody complained about all ministries. But they, they, they let us be the first ones back on campus. So our attention has been always focused on Howard, as well as George Washington, American, Georgetown. We're at University of Maryland with Pastor Donnell Jones being the character coach for the basketball team there. He's done that for the last seven years. Phenomenal. Helped lead the coach to the Lord. The, the things that, that that congregation is doing downtown are renowned. And we're going to go assist. And we're going to see congressmen and senators. We're going to see people in the southeast, the poor. We're going to see educational systems change. We're going to see the business climate change. We plan to see the entire climate that is Washington change by his grace. Because every time we have called on him, he's answered. And we honor him for that. And we believe that he is going to answer us as we go down to D.C. And we do something really, really special. All the details of who and when and where, we'll let you know later. But in this anniversary month, I thought, you, thought I'd let you know that we're going back home. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us as a people. And if there are people here, Lord, who are online as well, that need to thank you even though their life doesn't look like Thanksgiving should proceed from it, I pray that you would inspire them to do so, to thank you. 